Welcome to Crop Watch Podcast, a production of Nebraska Extension. Welcome to the Crop Watch Podcast. I am your host, Melissa Bartles, a cropping systems educator with Nebraska Extension. And today I will be joined by Dr. Tamara Jackson Zims, and we'll be talking about plant diseases. Thank you for joining me today, Tamara. How are you doing? Thank you. It's great to be here. I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. And for our new listeners that haven't heard you on our podcast before, can you tell us a little bit about your role in Extension? Certainly. I am an Extension plant pathologist, and I have statewide responsibility for diseases of corn, grain, sorghum, and more recently, temporarily, for soybean diseases as well. All right. We've had some severe weather across the state, and unfortunately, some of our fields were hit pretty good with hail. So are there some things that we need to be looking for, such as diseases, that we should be concerned with after a hail event in our fields? Well, that's that's a good question. So, uh, you know, in Nebraska, many of us are used to seeing some of this hail to varying degrees. And of course, we've we've had a lot of severely injured corn out there. And for those that may have just had moderate to light hail, one of the things we recommend people look for is Goss's bacterial wilt and blight. And within a few days after a hail event, you may start to see evidence of some infection around those wounds. This bacterium is one that takes advantage of wounds to infect or get into the plant. And you might first notice, for instance, a little bit of water soaking around around the edges of those wounds. And over time, especially if the corn hybrid is susceptible, you might see these lesions expand. They can get quite large. You might notice some freckling on the edges. call them discontinuous water-soaked spots, but freckles is a little bit easier. That's really characteristic of Goss's wilt. And then like many bacterial diseases, you have so many bacteria inside those lesions, they reproduce to such high levels, they actually get pushed out onto the surface of the leaf where they can pool. And when they dry, either on the top or the bottom side, you might notice some shiny spots, like they've been spritzed with shellac or hairspray or something. Those are really telltale signs of Goss's bacterial wilt and blight. And unfortunately, since it's bacterial, we really don't have anything that we can do during the season that does a good job stopping it. And so uh, if this is something you see on a regular basis, I definitely want to select a resistant corn hybrid when you come back to that or those fields in the future. Great. We do see hail here in Nebraska, so it is definitely something we need to be looking for. Yeah, and you know, I I guess I should mention too that there's a few other pathogens that can take advantage of hail. Honestly, most of them don't need a wound to get in. They've got their own ways and mechanisms for doing that. Another common one that you might see after hail or high wind damage or any kind of damage for that matter is common smut. And so you might see those mushroom-like galls develop on corn plants, and they can develop anywhere. It can be on the ears or the tassels, or it can be on leaves too, and they look different. They look more like warts on there, and those don't really spread. They're a local infection, but with that said, you've got spores in the soil, so anytime there's a wound or if you have delayed pollination for any reason, for instance, if you have asynchronous pollen shed or uh, you have silk clipping going on, 
you can get infection through the silks and that's when you get those galls on the ears themselves. There may be a smattering of other things. Even the bacterial leaf streak bacterium can enter through wounds, but it doesn't need it. We don't normally see that a lot. And even in soybean, you know, we've got some bacterial diseases that can take advantage of those wounds. With that said, though, we get a lot of questions about applying fungicides because of a hail event. Keep in mind those wounds generally close up fairly quickly and because most of the pathogens don't need a wound to enter, we often don't see an immediate benefit from a fungicide application because of hail. If you were going to spray anyway, as long as you've got leaf area to intercept, capture that product, that's up to you, but we don't generally see those immediate benefits in, in some of our trials and those of our colleagues in other states. Very interesting and good to know. The season is progressing and we're kind of moving into the time of year where some of our diseases are ramping up or just beginning to. What are other diseases that we should be looking for in our fields as the season progresses? Well, for several weeks now, you know, we've been seeing bacterial leaf streak in corn. And, you know, that's not really new to us. And we've got a lot of counties in the state where we've confirmed that. Most of them, in fact, I, I think we're up over, I think we're up over 70 counties in the state where we've confirmed it. But this disease is really dependent on the hybrid and, and the weather conditions. And so we've been watching that. And we've got at least moderate levels in a few fields that I've heard of and seen. But we're just beginning to see a little bit of gray leaf spot. And so that's one, you know, we'll want to watch close. And it would be a good idea to make yourself aware of what the ratings are for the hybrids in your fields for some of those diseases. Other things, you know, we don't worry too much about things like Holka spot that I'm hearing about. There may be a smattering of a few other things. The very dry conditions early on might have helped delay some of these things. But now that we're starting to get showers and higher humidity, I do expect that we'll see more and more. On the corn side, make sure that in southern rust, make sure that you know how to tell it apart from common rust. That can be really hard this time of year, and it looks a little different in some hybrids. So you can't just rely on the color. Uh, you know, the southern rust, we tend to see those pustules produced on the top side of the leaf tend to be more orange to tan in color. You may see them pop through on the bottom of the leaf when it's near the midrib, but common rust can be on both sides. It'll start on top and then bust through the bottom. And it's usually more of a brick red or cinnamon color. And, you know, we don't worry about common rust too much. We've got good resistance in all of our hybrids to that. Not all of our hybrids have resistance to southern rust, though, and it can be a more aggressive pathogen. And that's why I'd like people to kind of watch for that one. And if necessary, we might need to spray some fields uh, for southern rust if it moves quite a bit like it you know last year we had a few fields develop it pretty severe but it doesn't overwinter so that's good news if you had southern rust last year it doesn't mean you'll have it this year this is a fungus that has to blow up from the southern states and so if we get a lot of southerly winds it can move that inoculum or those spores up to us here in Nebraska and you know where we're uh, humid and warm and especially if we're irrigating you may see some of that and please let us know. Reach out to us if you need help identifying samples. Date a map, a distribution map for southern rust on the corn IPM pipe site. And so if you want to see that map, probably the easiest way to find it is to type in corn southern rust 
IPM PIPE. PIPE stands for a plant pest information platform and in education. And so you can monitor it too, or check out our, our Twitter feed. We'll, we'll share that frequently. All right. So several things to be looking for in our fields as the season progresses. So the question that I'm sure you get all the time is for some of these diseases that we're looking for, what are your recommendations for treatment and timing? This is hard. And probably the most common question I get is about treatment thresholds. And it frustrates me as much as it does everybody else, because we don't have treatment thresholds for these diseases that we talk about. Not like you would for something like some of the insect problems where we can count insects and then we know how many are egg masses and then we know if we need to treat or not. It's not the same in diseases and part of that's because it just disease development in general depends on so many factors, not just corn susceptibility or the hybrid itself, but also the weather conditions that you're expecting and a number of other things. For most of them, disease history, of course, that doesn't matter for southern rust since it has to blow in every year. But there's so many factors that we can't just give you a number and say, go count pustules. And depending on which leaf it's on and what stage you're at, there's just too many factors for that to be an easy decision. But it is important to know that, of course, that corn plant is more vulnerable to yield loss once we have uh, started grain fill. And so we try to protect those upper leaves the most. And southern rust can develop on any of them, depending on you know how much humidity we've got in the canopy. We have a lot of fungicide applications going on right now. A lot of that's because we know from previous data that fungicide applications at that VTR1 tend to have been the most consistently profitable for us most years when we do that, but not every year, sometimes less than 50% of the time, depending on crop prices and hybrid response and yield. Sometimes we get some of the secondary benefits of those applications like improved standability. The thing that I would be cautious about though is you don't know how severely it might develop if and when it does. And so be aware that most fungicides only provide protection for up to about 21 days. And so the maximum benefit of those products, you know, is going to be worn off sometimes before you really need it. And so we've seen that occur sometimes uh, when we've had southern rust really blow up by our three or four. And so that's something to keep in mind. Although last year with the way southern rust moved in and our research plots down at Clay Center, Our treatments that were made either at R1 or at R3 performed about equally. It's a bit of a guessing game, but fungicides are expensive and we know that's a difficult decision. The other thing I would be aware of too is that we've now confirmed frog eye leaf spot of soybean has fungicide resistance here in Nebraska. And got a graduate student, Asha Mani, who's doing some great work on that, sponsored by your Nebraska Soybean Board. And we really appreciate that because With that support, we've been able to determine not only is the resistance here in the state, but it's quite widespread. And so if you have seen frog eye leaf spot, which we're starting to see a little bit of already, just be aware if you're going to make a fungicide application to treat and and, uh, manage that disease, it's likely that you've got fungicide resistance too. And you shouldn't rely on just a group 11 fungicide like we used to call them strobal urines. They're QOI fungicides. 
if you need to spray for that, it's important that you spray a product that's a mixture of active ingredients that represent multiple fungicide classes like a three and a seven and or even all three, three, seven and 11. Just know that the group 11 product probably is not going to help you any on the frog eye leaf spot. You may get some other benefits for other disease management, but that's important to us. And Make sure you do scout those fields. There are some things that can look like frog eye. Watch for those graded tan circular or oval lesions. Frog eye is in the upper leaves, so it makes it a little bit easier to see. In future years, make sure if you do have a lot of it, try to pick a resistant variety if it's out there. And this is one that's worth watching for. Yes. And frog eye, once you've seen it, it becomes easier and easier. The more you see it, you can really pick it out, those purplish tan lesions jump out at you. Is there any other diseases in soybeans that you've heard are starting or that we really need to be on the lookout for? I know you frog know, eye leaf spot's a big one. and that's- it, it is. It's, it is. That's important. I guess one that's surprised a few people started earlier was Phytophthora in soybean too. You know, we had pretty dry conditions there in the beginning of the season. And so people who've seen Phytophthora before may not have seen it immediately. But once we started having some of those rain events or we started irrigating, now people are seeing Phytophthora root and stem rot develop in soybean. And this is tough. And the reason is because the fungal-like organism causing Phytophthora needs wet conditions. And that's because it produces a special spore in the soil that it swims. It's got a tail. And it has to have that film of water in the soil to move and it's attracted to soybean roots where it infects, causes disease, and usually it's a more serious seedling disease. But the thing that makes this one different is and more devastating is that it can continue to reproduce and infect throughout the entire season. And so you can continue to see plants dying right up through the end of the season. And what you're looking for are plants that are wilting in the field. Even when you uh, have plenty of moisture, you'll see those petioles wilt and droop out there. They don't defoliate, they just wilt down. And if you lean over and grab those plants and pull them up, you're going to find that plants with Phytophthora have severe root rot. And so they should pull pretty easy out of the ground and often have a dark lesion from the soil line up on that lower stem. And so that's a way that you can identify that. Some confusion we're having in the eastern part of the state right now, though, is that the insect soybean gall midge uh, symptoms can look a lot like this disease. But when you go to pull those plants up, the roots are not affected by the gall midge. And so it can fool you. Even an old plant pathologist like me, I get excited. Oh, no, we've got Phytophthora. And then you see the gall midge larvae on the stem and you realize the roots are in good shape. And so you really need need to look close and get out and take some time to look at these plants to see what's really going on with them. Of course, if it's Phytophthora, there's nothing during the season we can do about it. But we do have some very specific seed treatment fungicides that when you come back to that field in the future would help soybean. Some products like metalaxyl and mefenoxum need a higher rate if you're trying to battle Phytophthora, though. Then you've also got ethoboxum and some other newer chemistries. And then selecting soybean varieties specifically for Phytophthora, you've got both race-specific RPS genes like RPS1C, RPS1K, 
and you've also got tolerance ratings. And so tolerance is different, works very differently from the race-specific resistance. Tolerance is multi-race. It gives you a lower level of protection across all of them. And so if you can select varieties that have both RPS genes and high levels of tolerance, it's, it's the best thing that you can do. Protect yourself against Phytophthora in the future. So many things to consider. It's tough. Yes. And do you have any recommendations? They're out scouting their fields, maybe zigzagging across the field, looking in several different spots. You know, I'd recommend going to different areas every time, for one thing, and getting a feeling for, you know, what the real distribution is like. Southern rust, for instance, can be tricky. And so, generally, the way southern rust starts, if that's what you're scouting for, is you'll have a a few leaves in one spot or in a few spots. And the next time you go out, if you go back to that same spot, then you may have maybe a spot the size of your pickup in the field, depending on the weather conditions. And you'll get a sense for how quickly it's spreading, but how many new spots are developing in the field. And that's important to understand because that disease under the right conditions, which are temperatures in the 80s, high humidity, that's exactly what that fungus needs to produce spores, infect, and produce more disease. So I'd zigzag pattern across the field, and I'd do it about weekly when we're in this time period looking for southern rust. And let us know if you need help. The UNL Plant and Pest Diagnostic Clinic is there to provide diagnostic services for you. We thank Kyle in there because he accelerates diagnostic services for samples like southern rust questions where you're trying to determine if you're going to spray a fungicide or not, if necessary. Yeah. And unfortunately, let's see, upper eighties, high humidity. That sounds like later July, August here in Nebraska. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately. And that humidity is at least down in the Southeastern part of Nebraska. The humidity has been pretty high lately. So yes. So if it's muggy for you, it's probably favorable for things like rust and gray leaf spot. So keep those things in mind when you're out there. Yeah. And if it's muggy, just walking outside, you can bet it's probably even more so under that canopy or in between those rows of corn. Yeah. Lots to think about, lots to look for and be on the lookout for. And great. Thank you for your time today. Do you have any programs or articles coming out that are related to this topic or resources you would recommend? This, you know, we're coming up on an exciting time. We are all so excited to be back out in person at these field days this year. I just can't tell you how great it is to see everybody in person. So we've got a number of field day events coming up. So we mean management field days and first couple weeks of August, and then others at NREC, the Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center, like the soybean and corn production field days that uh, I recommend, where we'll be talking about all of these things and looking at things in the field too. But we've also, of course, uh, we'll make sure and keep up our social media and CropWatch articles and everything. And other places you can get information Uh, in addition to Nebraska Extension, is also the Crop Protection Network. I can't say that enough. That is a group of of all of us from land-grant university systems working together to provide resources for our clientele, and they're all free, and there's a lot of them at your fingertips. Just type in Google CropProtectionNetwork.org. And they have great pictures. So if you do pull a sample from your field and you're just trying to look to see what it looks similar to, that resource has some really nice pictures. 
All right. Well, thank you for joining me today. And I hope everyone has a great growing season. Thanks a lot, Melissa. We really appreciate it. And we uh, wish everybody a safe and prosperous summer. <laughs>